This is the Game of Life, where everybody makes the team, but how you play is up to you. I'm your host, Gail Nelson, President and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Miami. And I'm pleased to have in the studio today a Mr. Enoch showing me, a brother that I just happened to meet, and we've been talking a little bit, and this is going to be a fun interview. Enoch, welcome to the Game of Life. Thank you, thank you. It's, um, I'm happy to be here. Now, with a name like Enoch, brother, that's, that's powerful, and we've talked about it offline and off the air, but when you got such a strong biblical name, Enoch, uh, where'd that come from? Um, well, first off, my father's name's Elijah. Powerful. So another powerful name. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so I've I've looked into the name. Um, obviously, they gave me a reason why they named me that. Yes. And for me, it's just in my point in life, it's like I have a lot to live up to. So yes, sir. I think the names names are powerful and names like give you direction in your life as well. So That's why we don't need to name our kids Cadillac and Mercedes, if you will. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, there may be some Mercedes out there. Not knocking any names, but names do have meaning. You don't name your daughter Jezebel. No, you do not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying for the record, but Enoch, thanks for being here today. And you have a very, very powerful, interesting story that can help all of our listeners. And thanks for all who listen to The Game of Life on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, we appreciate all those who subscribe and really support the cause of mentoring. That's what this, The Game of Life is not a sports podcast, Enoch. Mm-hmm even though you have a tremendous sports history, but it's really in life, everybody makes the team, but how you play is up to you. And let's talk about how you got started. And let's tell us a little bit about Enoch Show on Me. I like saying the last name too, brother. See how I got that? <laughs> uh, so tell us, about, tell us a little bit about you, Enoch, and just where you got started. So um, born in London to Nigerian parents. Um, as any, like millions of young boys around the world, um, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Mm. Um, loved playing from when I was really young, um, joined numerous teams, playing, winning games. But um, during points when I was um, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be at a professional academy. Um, every time I went to trials or tryouts, I wasn't one of the ones that were picked. Even like um, my first um, high school team, I wasn't picked for. So um, I got to a point where it's like at numerous points in my life at my young age, I was rejected from my dream basically because mm-hmm. I wanted to be I wanted to be in those positions, but I wasn't able to develop quick enough for the coaches to see the talent in myself. So being having Nigerian parents, they pushed education. Education was the main thing. It was like education was going to get you further in life than sport. So. By the time I got to 18 years old, I started playing at a, a adult team, but I was paying to play. Oh, okay. So I was paying to play. I was um, helping to put up the nets. We had to pay the referees. We had to wash the kit. <clears throat> and so, um, so again, this, I was at that point where, okay, I want to be professional still at 18 years old, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then it got to the point where I started university. Now in the UK, university system is not like in america so the sports isn't a big part of 
the university system. Yes, they do have teams, and yes, you can play, but it's more for fun. It's right, more, like a club, really. Yeah, like a club. There's right. People are like probably half drunk when they're playing as well. So it wasn't that kind of standard where it's like you're going to go further or you're going to get scouted by professional coaches. Gotcha. So um, I was playing for my team at 18 years old and then doing my business admin degree. And I still wanted to be a pro. So at 19 years old, um, I decided a few things. Um, one of those things was I was going to stop drinking alcohol because I felt, okay, if I want to be pro, I have to put myself in a position where I can be ahead of everyone else that I'm, I'm in, comp in competition with. So I stopped drinking alcohol. At the time, I was like even smoking weed socially with friends stopped doing that and then um i said okay i'm going to give it everything i got at least mentally i still didn't know how i was going to get there right and then um from that point on i was like training playing on the team on a saturday doing well the team had some connections with professional clubs again uh, a lot of my early life was about rejection um and at I think QPR, professional team, I think it was in the Premier League at the time, they came to watch one of my games. I was like, okay, this is my chance. I felt I did well, scored a hat-trick in one of the games. That's they, three goals, right? Three goals. All right. In one of the games they came to watch, the second game I scored again playing centre midfield. They said no. And this time I was like 20, 21 years old at the time. So I'm coming up to graduating from my degree. A week after I graduated, I had a job lined up as well. So I had a job lined up. Um, they wanted me to go to another, I was in London, they wanted me to go like three hours up to Manchester to train for a week. But I had this game against um, Luton Town, which happened to be my first club. So I had this game against Luton Town, it's a pre-season friendly. It was a bunch of semi-professional players and myself. I wasn't even playing semi-professional at the time. So even the other players in that squad that played against the professional team, they were at least getting some money getting paid to play the game right i was just playing locally for my for my team so after after the game i thought i didn't play well by the way i thought i didn't play well in the game i thought i played better in the game where qpr came to watch me than yeah, i did in that trick. game hat trick says exactly a lot. it says a lot so um then afterwards they asked me to come back on trial and i was like they got the wrong person <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> they must they must be mistaken and then I um, started training with them for six weeks. Um, I was going, jumping on a train from London to Luton. I didn't have a car at the time. So Luton is about half an hour on the train from London, then about a mile from the station to the ground. So I'm, I'm doing it every day, going training. And I said to them, listen, I can't afford to keep coming because they weren't paying me at the time. So I said to them, I can't afford to keep coming every, every day. And they just said, it's your opportunity, take it or leave it. So I'm 21 years old, just graduated with a business admin degree, had a job lined up, and I chose to go the soccer route for my life. And at that point, they were like telling me, it's your opportunity, take it or leave it, we don't have no money to give you. So you don't have any bus fare, you got a degree and a job lined up. Let's just tee this up real yeah. quickly now. Mm -hmm. Option A, mm -hmm. degree, well you have your degree, you I earned have my degree, that. Yeah. But you have a job lined up, and mm -hmm. last time I checked, jobs pay. Yes, exactly. So that's option A, mm -hmm. get paid. Mm -hmm. Option B for broke is <laughs> you take this bus, B for bus, mm -hmm. with no bus fare, but this is your opportunity. Yeah. And what did you decide to do? I took the opportunity because that was my dream. Option B. Option B. So 
So they didn't give you any money for for the train or anything like that. No, at that point, no. At that point. At that point. So until no. so inquiring minds want to know, brother. So what mm-hmm. happened next? So after about six weeks, um, I signed a non-contract. A so non-contract. A non-contract. So, so the, the non-contract specifies that I could play for the team, but not get paid. But you could still get paid, but okay. they they were in financial difficulties at the time. Okay. So I could still get paid, and the the governing body, which is the football association in England at the time, was telling the club that they couldn't sign players. Okay. So this non-contract was like a, a way around of signing an extra player without having to go through the contractual agreements with the governing body. Okay, okay. So we I signed a non-contract, and then they start giving me my expenses. So my expenses was about equivalent to like $50 a week. Okay. So I'm 21 years old. I'm jumping on train and I'm getting $50 a week to play in a professional team. So I'm in London with my with my boys and I'm jumping on public transport and everyone's like, how much are you getting paid? Because they know I'm with the team now. Right. And I'm like to you, I'm saying, guys, I'm on the same public transport as you guys. I ain't getting paid nothing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm playing in a team. I'm traveling <clears throat> up and down the country, staying in hotels, night before games, um, coming off the bench, starting improving, um, the coach started showing more um, trust in myself yes. coming into games. And it got to February. So I, this is from July. So this is like July. So this is now February the next year. I've done that whole process. Still just $50 a week. I end up scoring a hat-trick in a professional league game. And that's when they was able to sign me on a pro contract. Same, same group. Same group. So they signed me on a pro contract after I scored a hat-trick. They got special dispensation from the FA, which is the governing body, to sign me on a contract because now I have national exposure. Mm. So other teams are saying, okay, who is this kid? What's his situation? And then they was able to get first refusal basically on me. I signed a pro contract for two and a half years. And you made you they gave you more. I don't need to know you don't need to disclose any amounts and all that, but you had more than train fare then. I got more than train fare there. That's yeah, what I'm talking yeah. about. And I got more uh, that contract was more than the what the job was offering me as well. Good. So it, it ended up working out for the best. But that was my dream. So I've pursued my dream even like like I said, throughout my whole youth I was rejected, 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 mm-hmm. rejected. But I still had belief in myself, belief in what I could do and then belief in being able to be in that environment and, and succeed. So the message for all of our listeners, then, Enoch, is, again, don't give up on your dreams, mm-hmm. even though they may seem a little risky at times, mm-hmm. but you have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Having been rejected, you could have just stopped yes. and said, I was told I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But no, with, with Elijah's blood running through your veins <laughs> and with a name like Enoch, you had, to, you had to step up. Yeah, exactly. And it paid off. It did pay off. But one of, one of the things that I was taught from very young was there's no such word as can't. I like that. So my parents always instilled in me there's no such word as can't. And academically, I remember coming home one time when I was like 12 years old and I got like 95% in a test and I'm happy. Come home, parents should be proud of you, right? First thing for Not my, Nigerian parents. Not Nigerian parents. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing my parents said was what happened to the other 5%. So that's the kind of mentality I've had like from a, a young age. is like being a perfectionist, being the best, giving 100% at everything you do. And then once you do that, you're able to achieve things in life. Now, you may not hit your goals, but at least you get closer to them. So I remember at 19 years old, like I told you, I didn't know how I was going to be a professional soccer player. 
But I was telling my friends three things. I said, one, I'm going to play professional football or soccer. That's right. You're, okay, you're from England, brother. I'm from England. So we call see. it football. That's <laughs> all right, football. It's all right. So I'll, go inter- I'll interchange between it's the okay. two. It's okay. It's all right. Second, I'll say I'll play for Nigeria. And third, I said, by the time I'm 28, Barcelona will put in a bid for me. Now, two out of the three did happen. So after my first year as a pro, I ended up playing for Nigeria national team. Nice. In friendlies against Ireland and Jamaica. So out of the three things that I said at 19, not knowing how, two of those things did happen. So it's those things about speaking it into existence, yes. following your dreams, and really like um, just giving your all to that vision of yourself. I love it. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Yes. We're here in a game of life uh, where everybody makes the team, uh, but how you play is up to you here with Enoch showing me. And as we think about uh, his story, starting in England, from Nigerian parents, uh, giving 100% in every single thing. And so the message to the kids and adults today is that don't ever let anybody define your success. Go after what you go after it, mm-hmm. and don't ever lose sight of uh, what you, where you want to be. It's just like the song when we came in. Whatever I want, I can be anything I want to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Talk to us about growing up in England. I mean, you've been in the States how long now? I've been in the States almost four years now. Four years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's the, some of the big differences? I mean, I wish I had an English accent. I could just turn on and off. That would be pretty <laughs> cool, but that's not my reality. Mm-hmm. So tell us about growing up in England, uh, Enoch. It's, um, it's, it's, pretty much, it's pretty much the same. Obviously, it's an it's a English-speaking country. Yes. Um, you have the same... Like I grew up in London. You have the same kind of aspects where you have the very good areas and you have the not-so-good areas. Okay. You have the areas where it's communities from certain backgrounds are pushed into certain areas and there's poverty in that, in those areas. So it's racially segregated, if you will? Some, Yeah, some some is racially segregated. Some is parts of if all, all different, because obviously England, they took over like one third of the world at one stage, right. the British Empire. So you have, you have people from the Caribbean over, you have people from Africa over, you have people from Asia, all congregated into a, a small space. Like you're looking at the population of England is like 60 to 65 million compared to like 300 million plus in America. So you're congregated to a small space and everyone wanted to be in London because London is obviously the capital city, but where the most opportunities were as well. So a lot of places were a lot of people from other countries, first generation, second generation, um, immigrants from other countries came over to the, came over to the UK, like my parents did, came over to my, came over to the UK from Nigeria in the sixties to get better opportunities for their kids. So we were able to come here, go to school, but we wasn't living in the, the, the nicest areas. So you, there was drug dealers, there was your there was your fights on the streets, there was knife crime, there was gun crime, there was all those kind of aspects that is similar to obviously places in, in, in America. How'd you get through that? And I mean, obviously your, your presentation, your education, mm-hmm. uh, obviously before you were in, uh, on a professional soccer team, you took care of business ac- academically. So how did mm-hmm. you get through that and persevere and be the man you are today? I think a lot of it is my parents, like yes. pushing education and obviously threatening me to send back to Nigeria boarding school. <laughs> Didn't want to do that. <laughs> so like you had, um, they were like obviously they were, they were strict parents. They knew that, okay, education is going to get you further in life yes. no matter what. And <clears throat> so it was, that aspect and then it was the love of it was the love of the game it took me off hanging around with people that were on the streets 
I was going to play soccer. I wasn't going to hang just for the sake of hanging. Right. So that it, the game allowed me to not be involved in those aspects that I saw grow, growing up. So that was that enabled me just to like enjoy, be with like my friends and just play football and then like improve my game. So like I said, like I was always rejected, but because I wanted to be a professional soccer player, I was always practicing. Right. So summer times off out of school, I was you would see me on a soccer field. I was playing summertime five hours in a day in the in a local park, in my garden. So anywhere I could, I would be kicking a ball. Even in my kitchen, sometimes breaking windows and stuff in the in the house. So it's like, <laughs> like if I wanted to always play, for, I wanted to always play soccer. So I always had a ball with me. So that was one of the reasons why I didn't get involved in certain things I could have got involved in. For the love of the game. For the love of the game. Perfect segue into my next question. You know, Big Brothers Big Sisters is a mentoring organization. Mm -hmm. We, these uh, young men and young ladies that we mentor come from, most of whom come from backgrounds where they live at or below the poverty level mm -hmm. here in the United States. Uh, and, but regardless of where they start, they can do incredible things mm -hmm. through mentors, a trusted friend and counsel, like a coach or a mm -hmm. teacher, uh, but somebody who just says, I'm in your corner. Mm -hmm. And despite all the rejection you might have faced, you can be something mm -hmm. and you can be somebody. Who mentored you outside of your parents? Clearly, mm -hmm. uh, your parents love you and they, they laid their law down 100% or else. I mean, it's funny, uh, you think about top athletes, you know, Kobe Bryant, the Mamba mentality, mm -hmm. if you will, but now this is the Nigerian mentality, 100% or else. Mm -hmm. What happened to the other 5%? I love that. Because mm -hmm. mediocrity wasn't acceptable in no. your household. No. No mediocrity. No mediocrity. And you carry that with you today, I'm sure. Yeah. So who mentored you outside of mom and dad? Who mentored you? So I had, um, at one stage, I had a teacher who he, from my school, and I, the, the school I was in, we had a whole array of different people, different backgrounds, um, not many English. Oh, really? Not many <laughs> English kids. So I was in a city, London. So you had, like, like I said, first generation, second generation from other, everyone had a different background, kind of like Miami, how Miami is now. Oh, you're very diverse. Very diverse. Yes, sir. So, um, so had that, and then um, so people was interested in whatever they were interested in. People lived have totally different backgrounds. There's Muslims, there's Christians, there's Hindus, there's right. Sikhs. There's so many different backgrounds, and there's a melting pot in inner city London. So my school at the time they didn't even have a cafeteria, for instance. Oh, really? We had two classrooms. That was our cafeteria for lunchtime. And then, I thought uh, every school. Hold on a second, now, brother. <laughs> I thought every school in London was like Harry Potter. Everybody wore the new nice uniforms, and <laughs> that's not it. No, that's not it. Inner city of London is 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 a tough place. It's not. Um, everyone is uh, is an expensive city to right, live. Right. Yeah. So parents are working around the clock to help, obviously, um, get their kids what they need. Right. And then, um, like my parents did, my parents obviously did did amazing as well. My dad worked at night, so my, my mom could work during the day. So they okay. were interchanging in terms of like caring for six kids. That's special. And then, like um, obviously, my dad came to this country, um, worked, 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 and he was able to put like all of his kids, um, if they wanted to, through university and okay. stuff like that. So he did he did a great job in instilling certain things in myself. But that school, inner city school, is, is inner city London, there's no space. So we didn't have fields, we mm. didn't have a cafeteria. Um, and it was just, like I said, it's, it's a melting pot of different cultures. Teachers are, teachers are struggling. We had like issues in the UK in terms of like, um, actually quality teachers in inner, city, in inner cities um, staying in their jobs. 
because it's difficult. It's difficult. Right. You've got like a lot of rowdy kids, a lot of kids that um, maybe they don't have the grounding I had um, with my parents. Maybe they, only, they came from single parent households or maybe they just had different um, aspects growing up where they from foster care, or <coughs> et cetera, et cetera. Right. So the whole, the whole being a teacher in that school was difficult and you had to be a special teacher to be in that school. Absolutely. So I had one of my physical education teachers who actually was at a professional club when he was younger, didn't make it professional, but he was there when he was like 15, 16. He kind of um, showed me and had faith in me for the team from when I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, moved me, moved my position to kind of where I wanted to be. Whereas, because I was one of the biggest, it's like, okay, you're in defense. I was like, no, I don't, it's boring for me. I don't want to play in defense. Let me play further forward because I have that ability. So he kind of moved me forward. He introduced me to the adult team that I was playing for three years. Um, he introduced me to them. So I started playing for them at 17 years old. And at that club, there was, um, from the first moment I was there, they were like, you should be playing at a higher level. So those were kind of my mentors at the time because they instilled confidence in me that I may not never have had because I was always rejected. Right. So I got to the point where they were telling me straight away, you should be playing at a higher level. So you mentor, shouldn't be playing this level. I'm sorry, that mentor trusted in you, mm -hmm. uh, encouraged you, yeah. even helped connect some dots for you mm -hmm. to the point where you get, you had people tell you, you can go, you can do more. Yeah. Wow. So we're here in the studio, uh, Game of Life Mentoring Podcast with Enoch showing me. Uh, and as we think about uh, those who are out there who want to sign up to become a mentor, don't wait. Get off the sideline, 305-644-0066. Sign up to become a mentor. Visit us on our website, www.bbbsmiami.org. That's B as in ball, a soccer ball, that is. <laughs> B as in ball, B as in ball, B as in ball, S as in soccer, miami.org. Uh, Get involved. Uh, and Enoch, let me just ask you this. Um, not only are you educated, not only are you an athlete uh, as well. And so you're six foot five, right? Yeah. And so how tall were you, let's say, when you were in high school? Think back, how tall were you then? So I think I had a growth spurt between 16 and 18. Oh, so it was a little bit later then. A little then. bit later, and I didn't realize it. So I didn't actually realize I was tall. So I was still, like, if you see most soccer players, they're not my size. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What's the average height of a soccer player, about six? Not even that. Probably, probably six, six, maybe less, okay. six, six foot and less. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. Yes, and um, so I was always practicing with my feet, and then I realized I had a growth spurt at 16 to 18. Didn't realize I was t bigger than everyone else. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I still, I'm still balling. I'm still playing with my no feet. No doubt about it. So it's like, um, as a professional, I got stigmatized for being big. So it's like you have to play a certain way when you're that size. Right. But prior to that, I was like, okay, well. Yeah, I'm playing with my feet. This is, I'm all like that's all you knew. That's all I knew. That's all I, I didn't have that. I didn't have the. I didn't have the coaching to say, this is how you should play. I didn't right. have the, um, like that professional aspect in terms of like, okay, this is how you should be approaching the game. So I was like, okay, I'm, I play five-a-side football in in leagues in London. I play on a Saturday with um, the eleven-a-side team, and this is how I'm gonna play. And no one's no one can tell me anything different. And you, were, you had the ability because you, ability, you pra yeah. perfect practice makes yes, perfect. Exactly. Uh, and so with the, and so now what are some of the uh, cool things I mean, through soccer? I mean, who are some of the folks you played with and or against? So and I was lucky enough to play with 
Kanu um, Okochu, um, be around them, Obafemi Martins for Nigeria, mm. um, played against Ibrahimovic, yes. um, Schneider, Drogba, um, Steven Gerrard, um, these kind of players. So I, was, I played champion. So in England, we have um, four tiers of professional soccer. So it's not like in America, we have the MLS. Right. And then we have promotion and relegation. So if you're in a lower tier, you you win the league, you go up to the next tier and the next tier. Oh, you, you earn get to your the, way you up. You earn there. your way up. Okay, okay. So I and I started playing third division in England. So we call it the Premier League is the top league. You have the championship. Then you have League One, League Two. I played my whole career in the League One and championship. Okay. So I end up in getting promoted with my first team, Luton Town, end up winning the league with them moved to Bristol City, end up um, getting promoted with them as well. So as we end up going to the next level and playing in the next level. So we had, um, it's, it's great times when you're, when you're winning leagues and you and you go to the next level and you're getting promoted. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's great experiences. And it's even better when you think about your story, mm-hmm. being told you're not good enough, Yeah, taking a chance, not mm-hmm. even having the train fare, mm-hmm. but still pursuing your dream and playing in not only uh, that at League One, then to the Champions League. Did I get that right? League One and Championship. The cha- championship League. Championship. League One and then Championship. So playing at the next to the highest level, mm-hmm. uh, it, with surrounded by incredible uh, athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your journey is not only encouraging and it's inspiring mm-hmm. to any little boy, little girl out there who's been told because of the color of your skin, because of where you grew up, because of how much money or little money you do or do not have, you can't make this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the message today. And not only did you get your degree, um, you got an advanced degree as well. You got a master's degree mm-hmm. as well, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. So when I was at um, Leeds United, which is probably the – Leeds United is probably the biggest club okay. I played for in my career. It's a, it's a, huge, it's a huge team in, in the UK. Um, I was diagnosed at the time with a blood clot on my lung. Okay. So I was out the game for like six months. But doctors said I may never play football, soccer again. How old were you at that point? I was 27 years old. Okay. So my mentality, just coming off of where I've been, where I'm from, having worked in a normal job in a sports store when I was 18 years old, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to wallow. I had, I already had like six years of playing, enjoying myself. If this is the end, then I'm going to do something for myself that's going to give me more for the rest of my life. So I, I end up starting my master's in finance at that time. And I end up playing another five, six years after that. But after being told you would never play after again. Be, after being told I'll never play again, I end up playing another five, six years, I believe, you know, six years. But I, then I had my master's in finance under my belt as well. Not a bad uh, backup plan. Yeah, so it's like, um, again, obviously I, I was always instilled with education. And for me, education is not just about getting a degree. <coughs> education is about learning. Yes. It's about learning skills. Learn. You don't have to be certified to learn. So, like, the stuff I learned for my master's degree, I don't use as much now, but I understand money. I understand um, certain things in finance that I was, ne- I was never exposed to. And I always think, like, life is about what you're exposed to. Right. So if you're, ex- if you're able to be exposed to something, then it can change your life. That was able to change my life um, for the better at that time. It gave me it gave me a focus. It gave me something to think about other than wallowing about why me, um, how did this happen to me? This shouldn't happen. Where a lot of people have that, and they can. You see a lot of sports 
people in general, globally, they fall into depression, they fall into alcoholism, they fall into gambling. That's all they know. Because they don't have that feeling of yes. the sport, especially when they come to the end of their careers. But I was always at that point where, okay, I've had a, I've had a small career. I, I'd obviously love it to go on a bit longer, but if it doesn't, I have something that I can do for the rest of my life. And sport is a short career. That's right. No matter how no matter how well you do financially from sport, it's a very short career. So you got to think about what you do for the rest of your life. You got another thirty years. If you if you stop playing the sport at thirty five, you got another thirty years, forty years of your life to do something. That's right. So it's like. Expose yourself to different things. Expose yourself to learning and then seeing what can make you happy and seeing what can um, inspire other people as well. Enoch dropping knowledge in the studio today on the game of life. And not only do you have the degrees, plural, mm-hmm. the professional sports background, uh, having been told you you don't belong or you, you can't make it, you're not good enough, but you also write poetry and prose. Mm-hmm. So I can't close the show without you dropping, give us one of your shorter ones, but drop a little <laughs> poetry on us and uh, just give us the why. When, why. Why did you start writing poetry? I know we talked off the air, mm-hmm. and I think it's very interesting and very very cool for those kids who are creative. Mm-hmm. It may not be uh, balling. I mean, literally with the soccer ball mm-hmm. or playing football, if you will, but maybe we got some kids out there who are just creative, and it's the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the expression. So talk to us about how you got started writing poetry and prose. I think I got started really, really early because I, growing up, I loved hip hop. Hip hop oh, right. was my jam. It was my jam. It was my jam. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I listened to it all the time, and this was old school. Probably a lot of the kids now would even know. But know. we had like the vinyls. They were playing on the vinyls. And old my, school. And my older brother, he had like um, he's like twelve years older than me. He had like a lot of the um, like the public enemies, the KRS ones. I'm probably a bit too young, but he gave me all those vinyls. I'm listening to them like, yeah, this is it, this is it. <laughs> and then, um, but back then, <clears throat> from what I felt about hip hop was it always had a message. It was like I was actually learning something. And obviously, I was in the UK, and a lot of the hip hop artists that I was listening to was American hip hop artists. But it gave me uh, understanding of life in America at that time in the 80s and the early 90s. It gave me an t- uh, uh, understanding of the, um, how things were in America. And it's like, um, but I was like, okay, but they, I'm learning something here. I'm, I'm learning something. And if it's, not even, if it's not even about learning, but at least there's like this creativity in the wordplay or this creativity in the rhyming schemes and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, I like that because of the creativity that right. put it together. So that's kind of how I felt about hip hop at the time. And obviously over the years, it's, it's changed a little bit. There's still obviously artists that will give you that um, education. And we need more of a message. Today. Yeah. So when I, when I started writing, it was at the time it was, when I was younger, it was probably terrible. But uh, I thought probably before I ever wanted to be a soccer player, I probably wanted to be a rapper. Oh, okay. So, um, so I had, to, had both, both those loves, soccer and, and, and just the art of rapping. But I never felt my voice was good or that I could rap. So I just said, okay, this is poetry. But if you look at most of my work, and I have literally over 100 poems. Wow. So I started at probably writing properly at 17 years old, and I kind of continued throughout the whole of my life because I have that creativity or that creative spark still in me. And when I have time, I will, I will just write something. 
Or sometimes I just get ideas and let me just put it together and write. Well, you can't just tease us with any knock. You got to close <laughs> the show. <laughs> G- give us a little bit of something. Uh, something. I mean, you got hundreds of poems, but just give us a little something uh, that you've written, if you don't mind sharing that on the game of life. Here we are. Sure. Uh, Enoch, Sean Mazzy gets ready to put drop some poetry on us as we close out. Uh, just want to uh, just let everybody know that's listening that you can absolutely be anything you want to be. And so here we are, Enoch, Sean me dropping some poetry. Okay. All right, so this is one I called it Stories. It's a little long, so I'm going to give you... Just give us a little teaser I'll give, you, I'll give you a little teaser of it. Um, let me see. Your dreams are your treasures in mind. Measure the climb. They rain from within like sunrise. Weather the signs. Never defined your ideal by the conditioning we hold. Forge your capacity to imagine. Envision in the mold. Don't be belittling your role, nor inhibiting your goals. Stay beyond the bounds of who you have been. No limit in your soul. Cultivate a new depth of willingness that is beyond logic. And yeah, we come from it. Rationalizing's a fun topic. No right or wrong stop it. So much you won't understand. Like the science of irrational behavior that makes you wonder, damn. Life is made up of your stories, not atoms. The metaphysical little you, you can't foresee to fathom. But it's for me to fashion a life of expanded glory. The pages of your book has no words, so you plan your story. That's a wrap on the game of life. Enoch showing me, dropping knowledge, dropping lyrics. He may not be a rapper, but he's certainly a poet. Brother, thank you for being on the show today. Your story is inspirational, can encourage kids everywhere, whether in the States or throughout this world. Ladies and gentlemen, keep your head up. That's a wrap. Game of life. Let's go. Hey, this is Gail Nelson, president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters Miami, the host of The Game of Life.